There's a better way to make video ads, specifically the ones that drive performance on every screen in the home. QuickFrame by Bowden has hacked the production process to deliver a faster, more efficient way to produce high-quality video at scale thanks to their curated network of creators eager to bring your brand's vision to life. If you're ready to iterate and improve on your campaigns mid-flight, creating a feedback loop of video data to take your ads to new heights, then you're ready for QuickFrame. Visit QuickFrame.com and get started today. On today's episode of AW360, I speak with Adam Gellis and Rich Sobel, co-founders of the Cleanroom Consortium. The Cleanroom Consortium supports the media and marketing industries by highlighting and encouraging privacy-safe excellence in the management and use of consumer data. Rich and Adam help define why data cleanrooms are essential for our industry moving forward and highlight the work they're doing with their partners. Rich and Adam, welcome to the AW360 podcast. I'm so pleased to have you both on today. Thanks for having us. Great to be here. Yeah, great to be here. So you're co-founders of the Cleanroom Consortium. Let's go back and talk about the purpose, the history of the Cleanroom Consortium, and then we'll get into cleanrooms in general. How did this get started, though? Frankly, this started over drinks. Um, so, uh, you know, like most things in our industry, you know, there's a lot of socialization and a number of us, uh, you know, I've been consulting in the space, in the data space for quite a while, um, and was chatting with some colleagues who were also in the space, either on the platform side or also on the consulting side. And everyone was having a really hard time initiating conversations. Everyone knew they wanted to talk about it on the brand side, on the publisher side, but, dealing with clean rooms and kind of getting just like the 101, getting to the 101 level was difficult. And so, you know, Adam and I and a few others got together and put together a white paper just to kind of level set um, on the topic and to create kind of a, a standard lexicon and some key case key use, use cases and uh, experiences with it. So, so just to kind of level set, just to make those early conversations easier. They're not going to go away, but we can we make those conversations easier? Yeah. From the consortium perspective, you know, last year we were an ad hoc group um, of executives from a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of different companies that represented the various technology companies, agencies, um, consultants in the space. And I think that the big thing is that moving forward, we're, you know, getting ourselves organized into a more formal trade association. And I think that is imperative because data management excellence is going to be an important part of marketing, advertising, consumer experience moving forward. And, you know, it's not just in our sector, but it's in a lot of, you know, these large firms, large brands deal with data across their entire ecosystem, not just in the marketing and there's really some best practices that need to be elevated in the way that, you know, companies are handling their their consumer data. And that's kind of the role of a consortium to help get to, uh, us as an industry get there. Okay, now that we know how you got started, let's talk about what you started. What is the need for a data clean room? Let's start by defining what it is first and then what the need is. So Cleanroom Technologies actually existed for quite a while. It's relatively new to the marketing and advertising world, but essentially a Cleanroom is a platform 
in lowercase platform that uh, exists where data can be shared without completely giving information to the other side. So it can be used internally. It can be used externally. There's a lot of flexibility in terms of what the technology can do. As far as advertising and marketing goes, most of what the buzz has been around is with privacy kind of becoming a, a, a pretty significant challenge in terms of measurement and reach uh, for, for, for on the brand side and then audience value on the publisher side. You know, what can be done that is privacy safe that still allows publishers and brands to share data that both of them can get value from. And so the technology is called a clean room in lowercase clean room. And that's kind of where we've started with the, to, to Adam's point around just data management excellence, but it's really a platform that provides collaboration in a privacy safe way across data sources. It feels like consumers by and large are now faced with a choice of whether to share their data or not. And, you know, whereas that really wasn't the case for the longest time. How does the clean room work with that concern? And what are the benefits to the consumer of actually sharing that data at all? So before I jump to the answer to that, I actually want to give a little bit of a background on kind of like where a clean room actually fits and how it's changing the way that we use data on the transactional side for media. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in the old world, in the analog world, you know, database marketing, you did all this modeling, planning, audience evaluation. You did that, all of that before you got to the media transaction. Everything was kind of pre-planned, pre-baked and, you know, completely rock solid before you actually used the transaction. Programmatic really opened up the ability to be much more dynamic and be much more in the moment with planning and audiences and targeting and being a lot more flexible and dynamic. The challenge is, is it, it we went a little too far, and that's where privacy is kind of pulling back. And so what clean rooms allow us to do is take the best of both worlds, right? Being real-time and dynamic, but also being a little bit more upstream in the media transaction with data management and applying data and audiences and customer information. And so that's really what's shifting so much. And that's where a lot of the, the change is happening because no one was upset when you know, you signed, you, you know, you signed up for whatever lists you got mail from these people you didn't care about. Sometimes they were good and sometimes they weren't, but you didn't get upset about it. I think the problem was, was we went too far in terms of identifying individuals at the point of the media impression. And so bringing it back upstream a little bit, I think is, is, has been, has proven to be a little bit better and a little bit safer and a little bit more comforting especially with the rise of something like retail media and commerce media, where, you know, you're going to opt into what a particular retailer is, is, you know, asking you for and sharing that information provides a greater return on value than just signing up in general, right? Like part of the challenge has always been what is the value exchange for privacy opt-in? Whereas you know, being a lot more specific and a lot more controlled around it, using a technology like the clean room collaboration tools allow you to be a lot more specific in terms of what's being used and how it's being used. And you can communicate that to your, to your customers. And from a privacy perspective at an industry level, I think it's clean rooms are a 
market level solution set to help solve to make sure that that collaboration happens in a privacy safe way, right? Protecting customers' identities, protecting their personal identifiable information, because they, with a clean room, that information resides inside, underneath the hood of that particular brand that you provided that consent to. Yet two companies could collaborate because you're not sharing that identity through a clean room um, using you know different technologies and analytic approaches to help understand both data sets in a shared environment, right? So the power for this is from a business industry business perspective is, hey, we have a privacy safe way to kind of collaborate across companies. Um, and then at this and still provide back both to, from a business perspective, the advertiser, but ultimately for the consumer, a much more refined uh, uh, advertising experience. That's an adjacency to great content. And, and a clean room doesn't abdicate. Right. It, it doesn't solve all the privacy problems. Right. Like it, it's the, the, the management of opt in and the management of your vendors and partners opt in is still something that needs to be done. Clean rooms just give you a better way to manage and operate that way where you can be a lot more dynamic and controlled uh, in how you do those things. So if you don't mind, take me through the, the process from, say, advertiser to consumer and what that looks like with the clean room involved in it. It's a little bit more indirect than that, which mm-hmm. I think is where some of the challenges come in in terms of understanding a lot of the concepts here. Um, you know, I'll, I'll use an example of that, that Google's kind of gone through, right? Historically, anyone who's worked with Google and pulled data out of any of their platforms, they had a data transfer solution, right, where you could get very granular log level information. The challenge is that log level information is becoming more and more restricted because it contains, in many cases, PII. And that's really a problem to share that information in such a generic way. Whereas operating in a clean room and you know, Google now integrates with a number of the other clean room platforms. So they can share the information and they can share the transaction data, they can share general audience information, but they can do it in a way that they're only sharing the information that is specific to who the act, who the who the brand has, right? So you know, brand X is is going to match with only on the people that they have access to and are known to have approval to access to based on their existing opt-in management process. So. Right. So they're going to get the access to the data from Google, but they're not going to get everything. They're only going to get what they should have controlled access to based on the opt in privacy that the consumers already agreed to. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah, that's actually super interesting. Great way to put it. It would seem that there is kind of a twofold awareness at, at play here. The, the, number one, you would you know want to get more and more partners involved so that you know everybody has access to this. But then there's also kind of the the consumer side of it where you want to inform them too that you know the advertising industry as a whole is doing better or trying to do better or efforting to do better. How does that really come into play for for the consortium? So there's a couple pieces there. One is um, you know on the industry's perspective is to um, have representatives from all stakeholders across the industry. So unlike traditional state, you know, industry trade associations, me being a former IAB or I can speak to some of this is that um, 
you know, it, you represent a certain point of view in the marketing or advertising world. So when I was at the IB, I represented online publishers, right? And someone at the, when I was working at McCann Erickson, I was on, uh, sitting on a four A's committee, I was representing the agency world. The consortium is built and structured in a way that it's a, it's a, it's a horizontal, if you will. It re- represents all uh, constituencies in the market. So we have marketers, agencies, publishers, technology providers, large tech, middle-sized tech, all involved in our efforts. Um, and then on the other side of it, from a kind of a more public perspective, meaning people outside our industry perspective, it's important for us to have that shared unified voice as an industry so we can articulate some of this both to the folks at Wall Street, the folks in, in the Beltway here in the United States, um, uh, you know, the privacy folks, as well as, well as legislation, legislative folks. And then lastly, the consumers themselves ultimately um, can, you know, we, we envision down the road as we get a little bit more sophisticated to kind of start thinking about how we tell uh, that industry level story to the consumer directly. Um, you know, I think one of the challenges is that there's a lot of, um, you know, the technology involved here is, is uh, fairly sophisticated. And unless you're in the day to day in the weeds of it, like riches, uh, you'll, you'll struggle with understanding all the complications, right? And for a late consumer in the market, I think they they don't understand, frankly, the trade-off between seeing that ad and the content that sits next to it that's being funded by in part by that ad, regardless of the distribution system, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think, um, you know, I think one of the challenges that the industry has always had is expressing the value of that that exchange, right? Um, and so, you know, I think that's something that, you know, as an industry, we need to get better at. And I'm hoping that, you know, by the consortium representing all constituencies and not just a specific constituency, we'll have a sounder voice at the table around that. And, you know, coming from the agency world and the publisher side and the platform side, I've kind of, you know, been all around. It's one of the biggest struggles I think the industry has in general is explaining what it is that we do. Right. People have a negative connotation. You know, the general consumer has a negative connotation of an advertisement, but they have a positive connotation of a promotion. Right. Same thing, different word. Right. And so, you know, we haven't done a good job explaining what we do. And the last thing we need to do is run an ad campaign on it. But, you know, in terms of the language that we use in terms of the consumers, instead of saying it to use it for advertising purposes, to use it for promotional purposes. Right. Can we promote things to you that might be interesting to you? Yes. Can we advertise to you things you might be interested in? Eh, I'm a little more hesitant. So some of the language that we use is, is, is challenging. So as we think about, you know, with the consortium and, you know, as we get into some of these really complicated, challenging areas, can we just be clearer about what it is that we're bringing to our customers in terms of what value are they getting out of it, right? Because I'm never unhappy seeing a you know a promotional ad on a on a, on a commerce site, right? If I'm on a, if I'm shopping online and I see an ad for something that's available there, I'm not unhappy about it. It's an ad, but it, but I'm not unhappy about it. And so I think it's contextual and just understanding and explaining kind of how the pieces are valuable is is going to be a big part of this as well. And how long ago was the consortium founded? Well, we, we uh, you know, started as an ad hoc group last summer, um, and that's when we all got together and started developing the primer itself. 
Um, and then over the fall of last year, we had a, a four city roadshow across the United States, New York, Chicago, San Francisco, Los Angeles, to educate the industry really on what clean rooms are, kind of the primer as an event, if you will. Um, and uh, so, you know, we're moving forward, we're growing, uh, we're adding members constantly. And I think that uh, when we we'll, we'll get a little more public about that stuff, they'll, they'll, it'll be, you know, you'll see that um, it, this is a significant opportunity here for the industry to to kind of collaborate and, and build a great, a great story. And last question, what do you see down the road, say the next couple of years, just in terms of adoption and I think challenges as well? I think the, the biggest thing that we're going to see is, you know, the buzzy terms that we're all used to in our space, right? And we are very good at buzzy terms, um, right? Like the, those things are going to become less central as, you know, uh, you know, it, as we sit here in January 2023, you know, there's a lot of the industry that's very concerned about a potential economic downturn. Well, what does that mean? That means being more specific and more deliberate. That doesn't mean not making investments, right? That'll make you better and and do your jobs better and perform better. So I think we're going to see a pretty significant amount of investment in the in the space and not just in clean rooms, but because clean rooms are part of a larger data data strategy and larger customer data approach, both on the publisher side and on the brand side. So, you know, I think we're going to see a fair amount of investment, you know, particularly to combat the privacy challenges, but also to just become much more dynamic in terms of the way you work with customer data to be more efficient at it. Uh, and frankly, because the technology can be used for more than just marketing and advertising, it can be used for business analytics. It can be used for customer experience. The ROI on those platforms becomes a lot more justifiable and a lot more universal, um, which is why which is why I'm fairly bullish on, on continued investment in the area. I also think we're going to see a huge amount of improvement on the platforms. We're going to see the larger marketing clouds come to the table, um, you know, a lot more more platforms, but also more integration across the platforms. So those are my kind of two bets. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the key challenges that I'm seeing right now in this space is is interoperability between the systems, right, between the different technology stacks. Um, and when we talk to um, our members and, you know, others that there's, there is definitely some area for, uh, you know, at an industry level, uh, developing some sophisticated standards around um, being able to um, have this, the technologies be interoperable. And so that way, not every brand is not beholden to one partner because, you know, this, this data cleanroom stuff and any data management relationship is, is many to many, right? So if yeah. you're an advertiser like Procter & Gamble and you want to be on NBC and NBC Universal's you know, ad system uses one solution set and then you want to broadcast on CBS on Paramount Plus that uses another solution set. So every advertiser, every agency, every publisher for that matter, since it's all many to many relationships, um, will have to, you know, the technology will reflect that. So interoperability for me is a key. I think the second thing that we're going to be exploring as a, as a consortium moving forward is developing uh, taxonomy standards around, around improving data management, meaning the, the data that's put into the clean rooms will have, uh, have better readiness for lack of a better term, to support some of those standards, right? That, that those standards will support because that's, those are the two big operational gaps, you know, at, at the 
brands at the companies using these tools right now that those standards do not exist in a holistic way, meaning that they don't they, it, the standards need to reside and work across media, across marketing types, across tech, different marketing tech tool sets, and across different you know and so the end users of obviously are various publishers and various advertisers and various agencies. So it's never going to be you know use our tool and that's the only thing that works because over time it, it has to you know it has to, you have to have tools that work across all the all the different platforms that are out there. And if someone wanted to know more about the Clean Room Consortium, where would they go? Cleanroomconsortium.com is our URL. Pretty uh, self-explanatory there. Um, and uh, you know, we uh, all, you know in that in the site it has a bunch of information as well as folks can you know download our initial uh, white paper, the primer that we refer to it. Um, and uh, you know, it's a it's a great resource for all things uh, data cleanups. Well, Adam and Rich, thanks so much for being on the show today. I appreciate you taking the time to explain all this and um, fascinating stuff for as little of it as I'm able to comprehend. Um, I, I, the, the, the example, though, that, that you gave, Rich, I think uh, helped, helped quite a bit. So I, I appreciate that. Excellent. Great. Thanks for having us. Yes. Thank you for having us. Thanks for listening. For more content like this and to learn about Advertising Week's world-leading events for the advertising, marketing, and technology industries, be sure to visit www.advertisingweek.com. How do you make video ads that aren't expensive and time-consuming? You make them with QuickFrame by Mountain. Their solution has facilitated more than 65,000 on-brand video ads designed for creativity, audience specificity, and data-driven testing. Hijacking the benefits of massive creator marketplaces and funneling them into a highly curated network of expert video professionals, they've made it easy to quickly and efficiently produce video ads for any use case and every platform. Visit quickframe.com to learn more.